Hi. It's always great to come back to Northreach. Uh, I remember the very first time I came, it wasn't Northreach. Uh, it was 1981. Uh, the facilities that are here weren't here, uh, but I've had that con longer connection uh, with this church. You may say the church is so different, the personnel are so different. Well, no, churches are like uh, grandfather's axe. It's had uh, three handles and two heads, but it's still the same. So uh, it's always great to be here. And last night uh, I found very moving the fact that uh, uh, Northreach has been connected with cross-cultural ministry in South Asia for so long. And I have seen over the years that really if we want to see effective, sustainable ministry cross-culturally, people need to be connected for a long time. Uh, I shared last night that in my own uh, pilgrimage, uh, I say there have been two carpenters uh, influential in my life. One was my earthly father who was a carpenter and he always said until you've, you've, you've uh, job's not finished till it's up and you've cleaned up. And Jesus, the carpenter, said, if you're going to build a building, first sit down and figure out whether you've got the resources and the commitment to finish it. If you haven't, don't start. So... Uh, yeah, those have always been a challenge to me. Global Interaction, Cross-Cultural Arm of Baptist Churches of Australia, uh, and I now am, I think, the longest-serving uh, staff member, uh, but through the support of Baptist Churches has made uh, possible what we have been able to do. Some of you may have heard the name Symbiosis, which is an organisation that we formed to really bring empowerment to the poor in South Asia, particularly amongst women. And uh, up until last year, I was the CEO, but now I've stepped down from that role and uh, Lisa West Newman, who used to be a Global Interaction uh, staff member in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, she is now the CEO. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, the support of those organisations who are part of that total ministry. I believe that you have been talking and uh, discussing and thinking about uh, who Jesus is from the Gospel of John. And uh, uh, this morning, I want to share a passage from John chapter 5, which is uh, uh, John chapter 5, verse 21. And Jesus... Uh, this is from John chapter 5, verse 21. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. And I want to share with you this morning that Jesus is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is so, so important in our message about, uh, about Jesus. I mean, lots of people die. Lots of people died crucified uh, crucifixions in the ancient world. But only one person has risen from the dead, and that is Jesus. In the Gospel of John and the rest of the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus becomes the, 
the, the bringer of the message of what God is like from heaven. And he brings it into human society. And it's so important that we see that uh, when it comes into a particular society, we have to understand the truth from the perspective of that society. Now, uh, I'm sure if you go up to the top of Castle Hill and look at Townsville, it looks one way. But if you go down to the Strand and look from that direction, it looks uh, different. But it's the same. And so it is with cultures. That the truth of what God has done, the reality of what God has done, when you look at it from one uh, cultural perspective, looks one way. If you look at it from another culture, from another culture and another perspective, it looks slightly different, but it's actually the same. And uh, I have seen over the years that uh, when it comes to share the message of what God has done in Christ Jesus into another culture, then we have to do it in a way, in a perspective that people can understand. Even though I've been involved in mission for so many years, people often ask me, what's a good book on mission? Give me a good book on mission. And I have to say to people, well, really, the best one's the Bible that you really need to read it in a way that looks at what happens from a cultural perspective. You need to see it's not just interpreting from our perspective, from the way that we view things. So uh, there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus tells about a man uh, who's uh, gone to bed and he's in bed with his whole family and uh, there's a knock at the door about midnight. And he sings out, who is it? And it's a neighbour. And the neighbour says, uh, look, a guest has come and, and I, I haven't got any food. Can you give him some food? And uh, Jesus says in the story that the man says, look, it's late at night and I'm in bed with a, you know, what's this? But he keeps knocking. Now, for we Australians, <laughs> we think, oh, yeah, you know, a bloke knocking at the door at midnight. Get real. Why doesn't he go down the shop and buy something? And uh, But you see, from an Eastern perspective, if you look at that story, the, the, the listeners to that story were thinking, why doesn't he get out of bed? Why is he asking the question? Because his neighbour is probably a relative, and if he doesn't feed a guest, the whole village will lose honour. Now, to individualistic Australians, that's a... You know, we interpret it one way, but those people who live in a communal village will interpret another. So we must understand where people come from. So I want to read to you uh, from probably, undoubtedly, the best uh, communicator across cultures in the New Testament is Paul. Peter, who was with Jesus, uh, Peter, when he went cross-culturally, and it's found in Acts chapter 10, it said that he went to the home of Cornelius the centurion, and when he got there, he said to Cornelius and his gathered household, well, really, I shouldn't be here because you're all unclean. 
and I shouldn't be mixing with you. Now, I reckon that's a wonderful way to win friends and influence people. You know, an Australian, if someone came and said that to you, you'd show them the door. But you see, for Peter, it was a big change. Paul, on the other hand, came from a different background and God used Paul in a special way. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and said, I am sending you to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, to the people who don't have the Bible as a background for their understanding of God. So I want to read to you from uh, Acts chapter 17 and from about verse 16 of uh, this passage where Paul goes to, uh, in Athens, goes to a a meeting place called the Areopagus. Uh, It's where the city council would meet. And he goes uh, to the Areopagus. Now I want to, I'll read to you from verse 16. Paul was waiting for them in Athens and he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection and they said, what's this babbler trying to say? These are strange things that he's picked up. Others said, well, he seems to be preaching about foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city, the Areopagus, which is out, uh, the picture of up, is up there on the screen. It's in Athens. And they said, you come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some really strange things to us. Because, you see, for Greeks, in their philosophy, they believed that the body is bad. They believed that reason, the spirit, the soul was good and that the aim of life ultimately is to get rid of the body and to become more spiritual. But the biblical doctrine, the, the, the doctrine in the Bible, is that actually we are whole persons. The spirit is, uh, it's all one. And so when they heard about a resurrection, a body coming back to life, oh, you know, get real. Oh, how can that be? This is really strange. So Paul knew his audience. He knew what to talk about, but he also knew what was important. So uh, they brought him to the Areopagus, and uh, it says that uh, in the in Athens, the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. It was a university city. In the Greco-Roman world, the ancient world, there were three major uh, university cities. Athens was the largest, then Alexandria in Egypt, and Tarsus, from where Paul came from. And so he goes to the Areopagus, and before the council he said to them, People of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way, because as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription to the unknown God. And it's this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now you see, Paul met the people where they were at. He didn't suddenly jump up and say, 
Isaiah 40, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 16 says this. Well, they wouldn't have known who Isaiah was. Isaiah? Who's he? Oh, doesn't he run a cash converters down in uh, uh, the main street in Athens? They had no idea about the Bible. But he starts with where they were at. Now, in all our work in South Asia, we found that we started where people were. What they, uh, that which they understood to start there and then to share with them in a way that about what God has done in Jesus. Now, when uh, it, Paul starts to explain it, he said, this unknown God to you is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples and, and uh, human heart, hands can't serve his needs because he doesn't have any needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being and indeed we are his offspring, as some of your poets have said. Now, if you read this passage very carefully, there's two things that you will find. You will find that Paul does not quote from the Bible. He doesn't give one specific quote, but he does give a brilliant summary of the Old Testament. It's a brilliant, just an amazing summary in a very short, uh, uh, short few words. And the other thing is, and if you look very closely, he actually doesn't even mention Jesus' name. And uh, the first time I realised that, it was drawn to my attention by a South Asian man who'd come to faith from another faith background, and he said to me, do you see that he doesn't even mention Jesus' name? And I looked and I said, you're right. And uh, uh, because this is an introductory message to people who don't have any background at all. Then he says to them, uh, that uh, the, the quotes that he does give, the quotes that he does give are from two first century Greek poets. One is called Epimenides and the other is Aratus. And he quotes from those. He takes truth from what they knew and uses it amongst the people. That which they knew. He takes truth that agrees with the biblical revelation and he uses that. And we found that that was the way that we had to approach people from another religious faith. Now notice that Paul does not go in and criticise their religion. When he starts, he doesn't go in like Peter and saying, well, I really shouldn't be here because you're all unclean. He goes in and he says, I see you are very religious. He starts positively and he uses truth where he finds it. So I've put up on that slide, you can see 
Paul, there's three things that you should notice. One is that his knowledge of the Bible. He doesn't have to give the verse. The Bible is part of him. He's absorbed it. And if you want to be a cross-cultural missionary or intercultural worker or whatever you want to call it, the Bible must be part and parcel of your thinking. It's, it's just there. Now that takes lots of reading, lots of study, uh, lots of interaction and thought. The second thing is that he knew his own culture. He knew the limits of his own culture. And thirdly, he knew the culture in which he was speaking. And I have found that over the years that this is essential. Early in my time in South Asia, in my first few weeks, I had a colleague who'd been there a few years more than me. And uh, he had some great ideas. He was an enthusiast. He was an evangelist. And he wanted to evangelize the people. And he, 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 he thought to himself, the local culture had dramas. And maybe we could put a drama on. And that would attract people. So he arranged and some uh, local colleagues, they, they did this drama. And my friend, uh, I knew him very well. We had studied at the Baptist College together in Brisbane. And he was so enthusiastic. That night there was a great audience, all men, all young men. And they put on a play about the prodigal son. And there was a little orchestra playing music and it was amazing. And uh, at the end, someone got up and said, well, this represents God's love and uh, you can come to faith. And my friend, uh, my friend, the evangelist, was so, so uh, happy, so overjoyed that the message of the gospel was being given. And as soon as the man left the stage, out onto the stage came a young girl and danced. Well, it was an all-male audience, and they went wild. My friend's face fell because he did not understand that in that culture, a drama or a play was not about communicating religious truth. And the whole thing was a failure. Why? (laughs) Hadn't he prayed about it? Yes, he had. But you see, it's not, it is understanding the local culture that is essential. Good purpose or good will is not enough. It's understanding what people, uh, what the local culture is. Now, what Paul did was he said that God has overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone, uh, people everywhere to turn, to repent of their sin and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world rightly by the man he has appointed and he's proven to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Now, one of the men that I worked with in South Asia I worked very closely with him. He'd come to faith from another major religious tradition. And he used to say to me, look, we don't want your Western Jesus. We want the Jesus of the East, the Jesus of the Gospels. We want want to hear about Jesus in a way that's relevant to us. 
the eastern one, not your western one. He also used to say, I have great respect for the founder of other religious communities, but they're dead. I have respect for my grandfather. He was the founder of our family, but he's dead. The one I want to worship is the one who is living. And you will see here that Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead. It is the distinctive of our faith. Jesus rose from the dead. The early followers of Jesus were not just ignorant uh, peasants who didn't understand. My experience of rural peasants in South Asia is that they make serious decisions. If it threatens their life or their family, they are very serious about it. The early followers of Jesus were the same. And when they followed, said, Jesus is risen from the dead, they gave their lives for it. They did not give their life for a lie. They gave their life for a truth that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, that's the message we have. We do not have a message to say that in Australia our religion is better than yours because in Australia religion has almost vanished. The society that I grew up in has changed. When I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, you every Sunday school was full. Had kids everywhere. The parents mightn't have gone to church, but they sent the kids to Sunday school. And they knew the Bible stories, but not today. People hardly know any of the Bible stories. And so uh, what is our message? Our message is not about uh, how Christians in Australia do religion, but it's about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, modern society in Australia is about well, if it's not relevant, if, it, if I didn't see it, and it doesn't, it's not relevant to me. And how do I know that something that happened so long ago has any relevance to me at all? That's a reasonable question. But I also have a question which I like to put to people. I put it to you this morning. How many of you know the name of your maternal grandmother to the eighth generation. That is, your mother's, 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 mother's name. How many of you know your grandmother's name? I saw a hand raised, I think. No. Anybody? All right. Well, I noticed that I used the grandmother and not the grandfather because you'll always get some smarty who'll give the surname. Uh, so I've asked the grandmother. So none of you know the name of your maternal grandmother to the eighth generation, and so therefore I would put it to you that that unknown granny is totally irrelevant to your life and that probably if she didn't exist it wouldn't affect you at all. Is that correct? No, it certainly isn't correct. That unknown granny whom you know absolutely nothing about, don't even know her name, is actually integral to your very existence and you know nothing about her. And you could go back even further 
and it doesn't matter. You go back 20 generations, take, uh, take uh, 25 years as a generation, and you've got 500 years. If you go back that far and you add up all your descendants, it's over a million. Over a million in only 500 years. And if any one of them had not been, had not existed, you would not exist. So don't tell me that something that happened a long time ago about which you weren't present for has no relevance to your life. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then Jesus is the most significant person in human history. Everyone dies. Lots of people were crucified, but only Jesus rose from the dead. Only Jesus is alive. And because his, because of his resurrection, therefore his death is also significant. It is significant because his death was on our behalf. And the proof that his death, that his death brought about reconciliation with God, brought about us coming back into relationship with God, God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection. It is through him that we have life and hope. In South Asia, where I work, there are over 170 million people living in an area two-thirds the size of Victoria. It is one definition of cosy. You know, I travelled on Thursday from Emerald to Townsville, and for 300 kilometres, I didn't see one other human being. I saw a few cattle, some sheep, a couple of kangaroos, not one other human being. Heavens, in South Asia, if I travelled three metres, I bumped into someone, let alone 300 kilometres. But it is, the, it is in that environment I wondered to myself, so many people, how, what, what, is, what is going to happen to this world? And if anyone should be depressed, it's me, because I see, I see the effects of pollution. I see the effects of overpopulation. I see all these. I did science. I did agriculture. And I wondered to myself, how is this earth going to, going to cope? It is the resurrection of Jesus, the hope that Jesus gives, the hope that there will be a new earth and a new heaven that keeps me going. The resurrection gives to us a meaning. It says here also that it's through Jesus that God will judge every man and woman. Without judgment, humanity loses meaning and purpose. People don't like to hear about judgment, to giving account of their lives. They don't want to hear about, no, 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 it's not going to happen. It will happen because it is through accountability, through judgment that our lives have meaning and purpose. Don't tell me that Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler were the same, that their end is exactly the same. Don't tell, don't give me that rubbish. Every one of us will have to give answer for our lives and they will be judged by Jesus. But through Jesus and his death, we know that we have forgiveness of sin. The resurrection of Jesus is the hope of humanity. 
Jesus is the resurrection. For us here this morning, if you have faith in Jesus, then rejoice in it. Share that with your friends. Share that with your neighbours. Not how you do church. No, they, you know, sometime when they come to Jesus, they can come along to church, but it's the resurrection of Jesus which makes his death so important. It is the resurrection of Jesus which gives to us hope and purpose. If you haven't put your faith in him, then today do that. Talk with the pastor. Talk with someone that it is through Jesus that we find life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. He who is your word, the word of God. He who is the son of God that you sent him into our world to show us what you were like, to show us your love and your mercy. Thank you that though he did not sin, he gave his life for us, that we might find your love and your forgiveness. Thank you that you raised him from the dead, that he's alive now and that one day will come again. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, here this morning that we might be ready, that our faith may be in Jesus, the risen one, Jesus, the resurrection. And I ask this in his name. Amen.